morning, if you will, we're going to open back up First Samuel in chapter 17. <clears throat> Since we have already went over and we've read uh, the verses, or Brother Andy has read these verses to us this morning, uh, we will not revisit every one of them. We'll be opening up there with verses 1 through 11. We're going to pick up in verse 8, in verse 8 this morning. So if you have your Bibles open, guys, with me this morning, read alongside, if you will, beginning in verse 8, as you know what has happened, that the Philistines and the Israelites have gathered together to the valley of Elon to this battle, and uh, Goliath, this giant of Gath, has come out and mocked uh, the nation of Israel. He's mocked out God, and he's continued to do so, as we're going to see later on, for 40 days. Look at verse 8 there, and the Bible says, and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then will we, we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, uh, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, brother, before we get into the message today, I do want you to understand this is not another uh, uh, David and Goliath a sermon nor the central theme be focusing on you facing your giants although it surely will and, and should apply you should face the giants in your life you should face the struggles in your life you should face them and you should conquer them that's what we discussed yesterday in faith rx where the bible says that we are more than conquerors okay meaning we've already won do you understand the Bible tells us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible tells us that he has given us the victory. You understand what I'm saying, guys, is that uh, you have giants in your life. You have struggles. You have battles. You have these things that occur in your days. And the reality is the Lord's already given you victory over them if you would so choose because you're more than a conqueror today in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ through him who loves you. Does that make sense to you this morning? So, I mean, everything will apply with you uh, uh, facing your giants, most certainly. But that's not the central theme this morning. I think the, the direction that we begin to look here uh, as to what is being applied, I think we can apply into our life every single day. And I think it'll give us, a, give us encouragement. I want you to notice with me that this giant stood uh, nine and a half feet tall. He's not only defying Israel and the armies and their kings and uh, the soldiers and every man, woman, and child uh, uh, that is behind, you know, in the back of the camp. He's not only defying them, but he's defying God, okay? He's defying their God, but their God is God. Do you make, does that make sense to you this morning? He's mocking out God. He's challenging, if you will, God to a battle, just Israel being the representative. So this is the chosen nation of God who were delivered from the enemies of God on numerous occasions. And now they stand on the other side of the valley of Elah. And what are they doing? They are shaking in their boots. The Bible uses this word right now that says not only are they greatly afraid, but it said they were dismayed. <clears throat> they were literally discombobulated. They could not understand. They just were in a position 
They did not understand what to do next. Okay, this was a continual, continual, continual thing uh, that was happening. Look with me in verse 12 uh, here this morning in verse 12 and uh, down to verse 24 says, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons and they went among them uh, for an old man of the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. The names of his three sons uh, that were to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next unto him was Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousands, and, and look how, they, uh, how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David arose early, up early in the morning. And left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him, and came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight, and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage uh, in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. Out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. Beloved, for 40 days, this champion of Gath went out to defy the nation of Israel, to defy the king of Israel, to defy the armies of Israel, and to defy God to their face. Two times a day, morning and evening. So the soldiers would all fight, and they would battle with one another, and shoot their arrows, and, and do the things, maybe their stones. They're fighting, but then when the giant comes out to do his little deal, we see that Israel was dismayed earlier. They were greatly afraid. Now all of a sudden, as the 40 days have transpired, they are sore afraid. They, have you ever been sore afraid? I mean, you were, you were so fearful that it literally hurt within your bones. That's where they were. This verbal onslaught of the giant was taking a toll on the nation. The continual attack and threats have now moved this army from their battle stations with every flinch of the giant, and they would flee from his presence. All of this has happened over a course of 40 days, over a month. But on this particular day, the Bible pays close attention to the fact that David heard them. See, you know, 40 days it's gone by. Who knows how long it would have continued on. But this day, this little shepherd boy, this little ginger-haired guy that was watching his daddy's sheep, now he heard them. You see, David's heart was stirred. Let me, make this let me make this preface to you this morning about the stirring of your heart. When your heart gets stirred, you rest assured the devil's going to get stirred. You say, well, preacher, I'm stirred right now, and I'm ready to do something. Then you need to get 
busy. You need to get off your, your backside and you need to get busy for the Lord. Amen. Go do something. Amen. Speak to your neighbor, your family member, your co-worker. Talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you need to know that you're walking into a battle zone. Amen. Well, I don't want to get in a battle. Well, you got into the wrong army. Okay. You got into the wrong army when you got saved and born again. You, you'll take enough of that grace, guys, to get you saved, to have you born again so you can have eternal life. But now you don't want to do anything with it? Now, David ain't having any of that. His heart was stirred. The Lord was moving, and so was the devil. So what I want you to notice with me first this morning is the criticism that we find. The criticism. We pick up in verse 25, and it says, The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to divide Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him and, uh, with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake, and, uh, spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done uh, to the man that killeth this Philistine, and take away the reproach from Israel? And uh, for, uh, for who is this circum uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now stop there just for a second. Here's a little shepherd boy, knowing who his God is. Knowing who the living God is. He doesn't serve uh, the God of, uh, uh, made by, by the hands of man or graven images or icons on the wall. He serves the true living God, the one God, amen. He says, who's this guy? I don't care if he's nine and a half feet tall. Who in the world does he think he is to defy the living? What's going to happen to the person that kills him? Verse 27, and the people answered him after the same manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou, watch this, left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? You see, brothers, David's brother could see in his eyes that his heart was stirred. Better yet, the devil knew the spiritual battle that would happen and would occur with this criticism long before the tale of David slaying the giant would be told to the Sunday school classes around the world. But you mark it down here today, guys. You mark it down this morning. When anyone begins to defy the work of the Lord, you can count on it that Satan is directly behind the criticism. And the confrontation for that matter. I mean, look, David's just saying, is there not a cause? Do we not serve the living God? Do we not serve the God who brought our, our ancestors out of the nation of Egypt? Do we not serve the God that brought us across the river Jordan and gave us this, this land here? Do we not serve the God of all heaven and earth? Is there not a cause? Who's this guy? For 40 days, these soldiers had taken on an onslaught of verbal accusations and verbal attacks, and, and they were beaten down emotionally and mentally, and they were just were beaten. They wouldn't do anything. None of them stood up and said, I'll go fight the giant, but here's this little shepherd boy. It didn't matter. It, didn't, it just didn't figure to him why they should be living in defeat. Criticism, though, is part of our life, isn't it? You're always going to have the critical. No one likes. Uh, uh, no one. No one likes. And too many. Uh, too many uh, people uh, 
work to perfect criticism in their life. And no one likes someone who wants to be successful. They, I say no one. Uh, the people who are unsuccessful don't like those who will be successful. When people begin to, uh, to, to stir up the work and provoke you unto good work, someone in the background is going to say, yeah, but what about this and what about that? I know thy pride, just as his brother said. There's always going to be people who are complaining in your life about everything. There's always going to be people who are unhappy with the way things operate or the manner life is simply going. You, you hear it all the time, people complaining about the weather. They complain about this, they complain about that. They complain, every, there's always a complaint, always criticism. But you're going to find, as a rule, guys, those who complain about the way the ball bounces are usually the ones who drop the ball. It's no different. Matthew chapter 16, when, when the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked Peter by calling him Satan, get thee behind me, Satan, all right? Now, Peter thought he was doing a great job. He's saying, hey, wait a second. You're not going to go die. You're not, that's not going to happen. You're not going to go to the cross. Listen, I just confess that you are the Messiah. You just gave me a great blessing. You said no flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto me, but my Father in heaven or your Father in heaven, that's who revealed it unto me. So no, sir, I'm not letting you die. And the Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. You see, the people of God who are tuned, tuned in with serving the Lord have no hidden agendas. And they will not hinder the work of the Lord. Satan, though, will always use friends, families, or foes to pull you away from what God wants you to do. This is the case, in the case of David's life, it was his brothers. And guys, let me go ahead and make this very clear. As long as you allow it to happen, it's going to continue to happen. I preached a message some years ago. I mean, I, I don't even know if I've ever preached it in this country. It was called A Line in the Sand. And I remember when I preached it, uh, in Tennessee, I had, a, I had a, a picture of a line just drawn in the sand. And there has to be a line that you draw in the sand that you're not going to cross, and furthermore, you're not going to allow someone else to cross. If you can't, that line should not be movable or adjustable with wherever you are or whomever you're with. That should be your standards. And there should be some things, guys, that are just... Well, they're just non-negotiables. Criticism. Did you know the average pastor leaves a church over eight critics? Eight critics. We we see the statistics all the time that over 1,400 pastors are leaving the ministry across the world every single week. That's a lot of people. I'm saying all that to say this, that criticism is going to come into all of our lives, not just leaders. David was just a shepherd boy. They weren't criticizing the king for not doing anything for those 40 days. They weren't criticizing the lieutenants and the generals and, and all of these. They weren't uh, criticizing the, you know, the buck privates. No, but here comes this shepherd boy with an armload of cheese. Amen. And he says, what in the world are you guys doing, man? I'm coming to bring you food. You're letting this guy make you afraid. You're running away from him. He's just some uncircumcised Philistine. Our God will defeat him. And they start to criticize him. David just asked a simple question. He says, is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. Yes, there's a cause. This entire army and the king have stood there for 40 days, becoming more and more afraid to listening to the words of this giant absorbing every bit of the onslaught mentally, allowing the enemy of God to win the battle of the mind. And beloved, when we continually give ear to the giants in our life, 
be it sin or whatever it may be or whomever it may be, when we listen to Satan, after, after a while, we'll lose the vision for life. We'll lose the vision for the church for what it is. It's purpose, it's purpose, it's purity, and God's plan in our life. And we'll cave to the culture and we'll become nothing more than a statistic, a mere victim of living life away from winning. That's what criticism will do if you allow it. But I want you to notice the commendation here. The commendation. This is a little odd, maybe. Just stay with me. Bear with me. Verse 30. We go to verse 30 to 33. Then we'll go to verse 38. And we'll come back to the ones in the middle later on. It says, And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. This is David. People answered him again after the former manner. And, and when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about that giant. Thy servant will go down and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not, not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Now go to verse 38. And Saul armed David. Now watch what it is. Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on a helmet of brass upon his head, also, he armed him with the coat of mail. So Saul will commend David into the battle. He'll give him his blessing, if you will. So the brothers are criticizing him. But the king now has finally given in to David's words. He's going to commend him into battle. But notice what we have. Where did the commendation come from with Saul? It comes from the natural man. The armor of man. Saul's faith was in his ability. It was based upon what he could do. Saul's trust was not in God. Otherwise, he'd have been out there himself fighting. But rather, it was the tactical strategy of a man-made armor. Here's the problem with natural commendation from men. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they, meaning the spiritual things, are spiritually discerned. Friend, the natural man cannot spiritually understand the Holy Scriptures. Nor can the natural man understand the spiritual matters in this life. They understand them only by the ways of their, of their personal and carnal wisdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. How often do we do the same? How often have we muscled the will of God in our life? How many times have we sat down and we've heard what we need to do and should do if we want the blessings of God in our life, if we want the victory in our life, if we want the giants defeated in our life, if we want to have financial blessings and family blessings and parental blessings and all of these things in our life, and, and whether it be from church attendance to Bible reading, prayer, all of those together, tithe, offer, missions, whatever it may be. How many times have we sat there and we listened word for word for word what we should do and then we stepped out and said, well, that's not going to do that. I'm going to muscle it. I got my job. I have to work. I have to go here. I have to go there. My friend, you have a job because God willed you to have a job. You can lose your job tomorrow if God doesn't take care of that. You understand what I'm saying? Our faith is so weak and our society today is so weak. We allow the criticism of this world and the commendation from the natural man to build us up and we try to muscle the will of God in our life. 
the reality is we should say the same thing that the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. I'll write it upon the calendar of my heart. These are my non-negotiables. And God, I'll leave it in your hands. Ultimately, my friend, if we go to battle trusting our own strength, if we go to battle trusting our own ability, we are limited by our own frailties. And if by chance we're successful, we receive the accolades, which will, as history has proven, render a downward spiral of humanity. The more Satan can make you feel better about what you've succeeded in by yourself, the further away from the will of God we can become. David didn't accept this commendation. Saul, the carnal man that he was, you know, he's putting all this armor on him. But I want you to see David's confidence with me. David's confidence. Look at verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept thy father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. Right? Hang on. Lion and the bear. Now watch this. Now, now stop there just for a second. That sounds pretty good. David should be feeling pretty good about himself right now, right? He says, And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David there. We already read verse 38. So, you know, when, when you hear David's speech saying, man, listen, a lion came, a bear came, took a, a lamb, I went after him, and I grabbed his beard, and I got him delivered, and I slew him, and I killed I did all these things. But at the end of the story, he says, just like the Lord delivered me from the mouth of the, or from the paw of the bear, the paw of the lion, he's, this uncircumcised Philistine is nothing more than they. All the glory goes to God, does it not? David's confidence was not in his own ability or his capabilities. David's confidence was solely in God, the living God of Israel. Nowhere does he take credit for slaying the lion or the bear from the mouth or none of those things. He said, the Lord delivered me, and that's where our battles rest. David looks at this Philistine as nothing more than just another animal whom God would deliver the nation of Israel from. It's not a reflection of Goliath's weakness, nor is it a reflection of David's strength but rather toward the glory of God. The battle is his to be won, and there was where the confidence that David had. It was in the Lord from past deliveries and a present soon defeated the enemy before him. In verse 38 and 39, we see in verse 38 that Saul had armed David. Verse 39 says, And David girded the sword uh, girded the sword upon his armor and essayed to go. That means he attempted to go. For he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. Again, just to reflect back to point number two, guys, the armor is a picture of the natural man. But to David, they were unproven. God was already proven in his life. And and they were just in the way. They were simply untrustworthy, if you will. And why were they untrustworthy? I'm sure they were made of the finest metals. I'm sure they were made as designed to preserve the life of the king. But to David, they were nothing more than a hindrance. You know, think about it after these terms. What would be the harm in David just going to battle with the armors and trusting God as well? 
Still taking the rocks in his sling and his script and all this and that. But, you know, carrying that armor, uh, that armor and that sword just in case the little sling plan didn't work, work out. You know, it's called, it's called a backup plan. And my friend, I got to tell you here today that, you know, God's not into backup plans. I understand backup plans may be a, a good idea when you're prepared, having a plan B and plan C here and there. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's will is not accomplished with what ifs and backups. The Lord is only pleased when we have faith in him, full faith, not just a portion. David said that these aren't proven, and he respectfully declined. He went his way into the valley. How many times has the Lord answered our prayers? How many times has the Lord uh, came through with us when we didn't deserve it? How many times has the Lord done, uh, done things for us that has just, un- just blown us away, that just shocked us, if you will? How many times has the Lord fought our battles and proved to us he is real, that he loves his people, and he desires his name to be glorified? How many times? You see, friend, I want us to understand that there's a battle that is going to happen between David and Goliath. But the central theme today is not just about David and Goliath. The central theme today is not just about this victory with the sling. Look in verse 40 with me. And the Bible says, and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his script and in his sling, uh, and, his, and, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Guys, we know the story of David. We know the story of, of David and Goliath. We, we, we know how it works out. We know that it was with one stone that, that David strikes Goliath in the head. The stone enters into his skull. He falls forward. David takes his own sword and removes his head. Victory. There we go. One stone, one sling, one strike, done and dusted. So why five? Why five stones? Well, guys, this story today is about more than just a victory against David and Goliath. You see, when David said that there was a cause, the cause was what? The defeat of the Goliath, the giant? The victory for Israel? The set at peace for the nation? That wasn't the cause, guys. The cause was that God may get glory. The cause was for God to get the glory in all things said and done. So when David said in verse 29, is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. And it's to bring glory to our Lord and Savior. So why five stones? You guys have heard me use this testimony here, this illustration time after time. I normally bring in five stones. I used it one time in a men's meeting last year. I preached this meeting. We broke for lunch. I came back, and there was five smooth stones sitting on my Bible. So David goes through the, this famous uh, valley of Eli between, uh, between these two mountain peaks here and he goes down there to fight with, uh, with, with Goliath, but we find in Paul's epistle, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 and 29, it says, But God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Five things Paul gives us that are used to bring glory unto God. Five things. You see, just like he had those five stones 
Those stones at one time would have been rough around the edges. Now, I believe in all my heart that David uh, chose these stones with purpose, whether or not he reached down and, and grabbed the handful or searched them out, I don't know. But what I do know is they came out of a brook. And when they came out of a brook, my friend, that brook had water that ran in it for hundreds and hundreds, for thousands of years. And I know that God saw fit that he was going to do something one day in that valley to prove to everyone who and what he is. So that he may receive the glory, to give encouragement to those of the nation of Israel. And as time went on, to give encouragement to us, his church. Because there's five things that God's going to choose to bring glory unto him. Just like those five stones that David chose. And those, those stones would be rough guys that have the rough edges around them. And that water would run over and run over and over. And somewhere along the line, a couple hundred years later, after one side was smooth, God just in his, uh, his omnipotence would have that rock flip over. And, and that water continue to run and smooth those stones out. A smooth stone will fly straighter. A smooth stone will stick in longer. Ask Goliath. It stayed right in that skull now, didn't it? And a smooth stone is stronger. The weakest part of any kind of structure is in the corners. God prepared five smooth stones, and he's doing the same thing with his bride today, too. He's preparing you for a work. He's preparing you to do something. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and uh, in glory by Christ Jesus. So, beloved, the work of God, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the life of the bride of Christ at the end of the day is no different than the valley, the, the battle in the valley of Eli between David and Goliath. It's simply all about God. It's all about God and the work that we're doing today. I understand, guys, that, uh, that, that we want to live a life that is uh, sometimes comfortable. I understand we want to live a life that is blessed, and we should. And there's, I mean, we should have those desires. I believe in my heart that we should have a desire, a, a strong desire to have joy in our life. The Bible speaks of it multiple times about having joy. But I believe we've got to make sure we have an order of what our life is about. It's not about us. It's about God. And that battle that day when David said, is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. And the cause is that God may receive the glory. So I'm going to ask you this morning. When you wake up each morning, whatever you do first, do you ask and check yourself and say, how today, God, can I bring you glory? What can I do with my schedule? What can I do with my time? What can I do with the life that you have gifted me to bring you glory, honor, and praise? That's the question this morning. And I think that's the question that we all have to ask in our life. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. I pray that you would give us guidance, grace, and mercy and allow us to take this message into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we depart one another here shortly uh, today. Lord, I pray not only do we have traveling mercies, but Father, bring back this thought of David and Goliath in the valley and the battle that occurred that day solely to bring glory and honor and praise to our God. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen.